0: Tere! And welcome to History of Estonia podcast. The name of this episode is Loss, Renewal, and Reunion. In the past, this podcast followed a timeline through Estonian history following the book History of Estonia, published in 1997. I intend to continue this chronological retelling of Estonian history in the fall. As for now, I would like to work on something new. I have been referring to this part of the podcast as Estonian stories. And after the chronological timeline is complete, these Estonian stories will become the standard for the podcast. In the Estonian story segment, I plan on spending time getting to know in more detail the people, places, and events that our chronological timeline will allow. Several months ago, I was on the Estonian Genealogy page of Facebook, and they were having discussions about families having to leave Estonia during World War II by boat. I have been interested in this topic because it is so recent in the scale of time we are talking about in the context of this podcast, which means that I could find people still alive today that were personally affected by the circumstances their relatives were put in. I asked if anyone had stories that they would like to share regarding family members either being forced to flee or choosing to flee Estonia because of Estonia's wartime instability. I was hoping that I could get some good stories that I could retell on this podcast. I had several people contact me, but like these interactions normally go, many of the conversations didn't go very far. One did, however. I was contacted by the nephew of a man whose family was put in this situation. After messaging back and forth for a while, and a follow-up phone call, I was able to procure the personal memoirs of a man who is still alive today, who went through these terrible hardships. The man's name is Hakey Sova, and today lives in Yorkshire County, Bradford, England, And when the retelling of Heike's story begins in 1939, he was six years old, and in July of 2020, Heike will be 86. I actually just got off the phone with him just a few minutes ago, and he is a wonderful person and in good health. Luckily for me, and of course his family, Heike remembers a great deal of the details from his childhood and he has spent several years working on this memoir that's called Loss, Renewal, and Reunion. Hakey had significant help from a history teacher that he is friends with, and the teacher brought out a lot of the information that Hakey thought wasn't important, and he thought that people wouldn't want to know about all the details. After reading the book and working many hours on the details of the book, I would agree with the history teacher. I expected this project to be a single episode when I started, but to do that would not have served the story properly. The details and how they tie back together and how the decisions that were made changed the course of the Sova family's lives in ways they could have never imagined. Heike's father, Edward Sova, was born in Russia on November 14, 1907. His passport stated that he was born in the village of Karula in southern Estonia. Edward's father, Jacob, was born and raised on a farm in southern Estonia, 30 kilometers from Volga. On this farm, Jacob met his future wife, Magdalena. Unfortunately, Jacob was just a poor farmhand, and Magdalena was the daughter of a prominent farmer, and her father didn't approve of Jacob's and Magdalena's relationship, so the young couple decided to elope to Russia, about 120 kilometers from their family farm, so that they could be together. After the birth of Edward, the young couple decided to move the family back to Estonia, and they moved to the country's capital, Tallinn. After going to school for six years, Edward was able to find a job as an apprentice to a goldsmith. Edward would take to this career and would spend the rest of his life in this field of work. Heikki Sova, the author of this book and whose eyes most of the story was witnessed, was born in Tallinn on July 22, 1934 to his father Edward and his mother Yadviga. Heikki was born in a tumultuous time. Estonia had recently fought for and won its independence from the Soviet Union. When Heike was a young boy, his neighborhood in Tallinn seemed like a wonderful and peaceful place to grow up. His memories go back as far as 1938, when he was four years old. Across the street from their wooden house on Kanikese Tanov, which is still standing today, lived Auntie Manya, Yadviga's sister, and her husband Efka, who made his living as an architect and was also a prestigious Estonian Greco-Roman wrestler. Manya reportedly lavished Heike with love, and quite possibly more than one normally would, because of the fact that she lost two children and was unable to have her own. So she always was eager to show affection and share candy with Heike. For the most part, I think it is safe for me to say that Heike's early childhood was a good one. He had loving parents and a good support structure around him. He had to walk a long ways to school and his shoes would get worn out and he wouldn't be able to attend school for a couple days until his shoes were repaired. He had a cute stuffed bear that he would like to drag around and he is actually pictured in the book with this bear. His mother, Yadviga always wanted her child to look proper and on picture day, she always was able to somehow strategically place Haki so that he was looking good in the front and center of all class photos. This point is demonstrated many times in the book because somehow Yadviga was always able to save a remarkable amount of their family heirlooms in their harrowing journeys to come. Tallinn in this period had many trendy coffee houses, restaurants, and cinemas. And Manya and Yadviga would take Heike out on pleasant strolls in Tallinn, stopping into local shops and visiting friends and grabbing a bite to eat. In the summer months between June and August, Yadviga and Haiki would rent a room in a farmhouse outside of Tallinn and live there by themselves during the week. But on the weekends Edward would join them, and he and Heiki would spend their days laying by the stream fishing. Which was Ed, which was Edward's favorite hobby, to get to know the family struggles and how they were able to manage their future difficulties. It is important to more properly introduce Yadviga, Heike's mother. Yadviga was born in Poland, but her two sisters were born in Saint Petersburg. Before the family ended up in southern Estonia, where Yadviga and Edward became acquainted. Yadviga came from a rather poor background, but she always went out of her way to make sure that her children, first and foremost, looked proper. She was a loving person, but was very strict, and things needed to be done by her terms. She always approached the work she set out to do with dignity and to do the best of her ability, and these were the values that she tried to pass on to her children. When Hakey was out in the even, evening playing with his friends, his mother would always take his dinner out to him, and he had his own dining set with animals painted on the plates. On occasions when Hickey was too busy playing to sit down and eat, Yadviga would lower down sandwiches from the third-floor window tied to a string. Whenever it would rain hard, the streets in front of Hickey's house would flood, and Hickey and his friends would take scraps from the local construction site and make homemade boats and float around on the flooded streets of Tallinn. The Christmas of 1939 was the last Christmas that the Sova family would be together. The six-year-old Heike recalls that Christmas with clarity. Heike remembers that his father Edward had dressed up as Santa Claus to deliver the Christmas presents to the extended family. There was a problem, though. Hakey recognized his father, and when he shared the fact with his grandfather, Jacob, Jacob covered for Edward and made up an excuse for Edward being missing, and he informed Hakey that Edward had run out to get beer for the party, which was a nice cover. When Christmas was over, it was young Hakey's job to take a small wood saw and chop up the tree into small pieces to dispose of in the stove. On a side note, this is still the same way we dispose of our Christmas tree when I visit Estonia every December. In the family's last summer together, they spent it in a rented room in the village of Kloga in Haryu County. There, Yadviga and Heikki would spend the weeks alone, and Edward would go and meet up with the family on weekends, and they would have their friends and family visit and go swimming in the nearby lake which Heike liked to swim in most when it was raining, as it made the water feel warm. It was at this same lake that Heike almost drowned when his cousin, who was practicing his life-saving skills, pushed him off a short wooden jetty into deep water. His cousin expected Heike to surface, and this was when he was to be saved. Unfortunately, Heike did not surface, and his cousin had to call for help and the adults came to rescue, and Hickey was eventually saved. But from this point on, Hickey was deeply afraid of the water. To spend time during the week when Edward was at work, the extended family would go out into the wilderness to pick and collect berries and mushrooms, which were a significant portion of the family's nutrition. These expeditions were all-day adventures which would start early in the morning, and the women would pack cake, coffee, and milk with them to try to get them through the hard day's work. When World War II broke out, Estonia was a neutral country. However, on June 14, 1940, the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact was signed, and two days later, Molotov forced the Estonian government to accept an unlimited amount of Soviet troops. When the Soviets occupied the country, fear gripped the population. Neighbors spied on neighbors, looking to curry favor from the Soviet government and looking to avoid their own deportation to Siberia. The first round of 10,000 Estonians to be deported to Siberia were collected in the evening of June 13, 1941. The first round of deportees were high-ranking government ministers, student leaders, professors, politicians, and wealthy landowners. The deportation would typically go as follows. A military truck filled with men would stop in front of the residents. The soldiers would all pile out of the vehicle and surround the premises, making sure no one escaped and start banging on the door, demanding it be opened. The deportee would be given 30 minutes to gather all their belongings and say goodbye to their loved ones. A rumor started to spread among Estonians that young men of military age were to be deported to Siberia. A friend of Edward's offered to help him escape to Sweden by driving over the frozen Baltic in the winter. Edward wisely declined. Edward never saw his friend after his attempt. It was just assumed that it failed as the Soviets were aware of such attempts and were vigilantly watching the coast. Sunday, July 27, 1941, was the day that Edward received his orders. He was to grab some personal items and either a bladder from a football or a bicycle inner tube. They were to leave on a passenger cruise ship called the Joseph Stalin, bound for St. Petersburg where they were to dock and board the more normal means of mass deportation, the cattle car. The Joseph Stalin didn't have enough lifeboats, so the football bladder was supposed to act as a life preserver, in the event that it was hit by a German or Finnish mine and the ship sank. In the morning at around nine, Edward stood at the front door and gave Hakey a very long and strong hug and asked Hakey to be good to your mother and help her. Those words affected Hakey for the rest of his life, and he would try to live up to them. Edward then hugged the then-pregnant Yadviga, and that was it. He left for the Hippodrome, which was the gathering point for the deportations. In all, about 32,000 gathered at the Hippodrome for deportation. Not all were to travel on the Joseph Stalin. Many were to leave by rail. Edward did not want his family at the harbor to see him off, as he thought it would be less emotional for the family. Of course, though, Yadviga resisted, and together with Hakey, they made their way to the harbor to see the ship off, and hopefully to see Edward one last time. Edward kept a diary from the time he, he was deported, and many years later, this diary was handed over to Hakey. His first entry was made on the evening of his departure. I am feeling very low. It is departure day from Tallinn. Many people were gathered at the harbor to see away their loved ones. One young lady, who was nicknamed The Angel, swam back and forth to the Joseph Stalin, delivering notes to the desperate people, who were looking for some hope. Heike and Jadwiga tried desperately to catch a glimpse of Edward, but they were unable to see him, and eventually Jadwiga tired from the stress and walking a great distance, decided to leave. That evening, Yadviga spent the whole night weeping. It must have been a terrible burden. She was now left with a seven-year-old son with another child on the way. What would the future hold? How would they survive? These were some of the thoughts that must have been going through her mind. It was very quiet that night with only the noise of a barking dog in the distance to keep them company. From this point, Edward's story is recorded in his diary, which he only wrote in sporadically, and is where I will get information from his time in exile. What was unknown to the Sovas at the time was that the Germans had already entered southern Estonia and were driving north, and within a month, Tallinn was encircled by the German army. On Monday, July 28th, 1941, Edward wrote in his diary, Day 2, midnight to 1.30 a.m. We boarded a ship, the Joseph Stalin. It is a big ship full of men. It is like an ant's nest. I am at the very bottom of the ship, 20 meters down. At 4 a.m., ship leaves for sea. I did not sleep at all last night. Ten o'clock in the evening, we reached the city of Krohn. Ship dropped anchor. I am riding home. Efka and I finally got to sleep at midnight. I have lost my soap and toothbrush. Tuesday, July 29th, 1941, day three. It is 5.30 a.m. We are moving past the city of Krohn. We have stopped in some canal. Leningrad, 10 o'clock in the morning. In the afternoon, one section of men is taken off ship. Rest of us remain on ship. Played cards, 180 rubles, going to sleep at 2 a.m. In 1941, Yadviga got a job at a match factory to help make ends meet. This left Haki unsupervised all day long, and he went about looking for things to get into, as most curious little boys would. He ended up discovering a Russian motor pool, and the soldiers saw Heikey loitering about and were nice to him, and gave him some sweets, and tried to de- teach him to dance in the Russian Cossack style, which of course Haki wasn't quite strong enough for. Later, when he went home, the smell of diesel saturated Haki's clothing and he could not hide his adventures from his mother. The smell of diesel would always take him back to this motor pool and the Russian soldiers for the rest of his life. Hakey would also try to make some extra money while his mother was at work. The hayfields of Tallinn produced beautiful posies in the spring, and Hakey would walk around the muddy fields picking flowers and later sell them to his neighbor. In July 27, 1941, Edward was deported. By July 7th, three weeks prior to his departure, the Germans had already invaded Estonian territory. By August 28th, they had liberated Tallinn. Prior to Tallinn falling, it was surrounded by the German army, and the Soviets were trapped in Tallinn in a similar way the British troops were trapped at Dunkirk. Like Dunkirk, a large-scale evacuation was ordered. Due to heavy shelling, about a thousand Russians were killed waiting for evacuation. This was a small loss in comparison to what was happening at sea. The Finns had mined the Baltic Sea, and the German Luftwaffe were attacking the fleeing ships. Forty out of the 220 ships that left Tallinn were sunk, with 180 ships carrying 30,000 passengers made it to safety. When the Soviets first took Estonia, the population was 1,133,917 and after the Soviet evacuation, the number was down to 1,017,145, a loss of about 10% of Estonia's population. When the Germans occupied Tallinn, Heike and Yadviga went for a walk to the Rikoplatz, and on the cobblestone town square laid covered with white sheets, were some of the victims of the NKVD. Yadviga pointed out to Heike that the same fate may have happened to Edward had he not selflessly agreed to the deportation to Siberia. The reprisal of the Soviets on those who fled were largely cruel and gruesome, and many times friends and family members paid the cruel price for their evasion of Soviet authorities. On the 9th of November, 1941, Heike became an older brother, as Jadwiga gave birth to a boy and named him Arne. Fortunately for the whole family, Arne was a quiet and good baby, and would seldom cry, and in the future, this would become very important. When Arne was just a few months old, the grandparents came to live in Tallinn so that Jadwiga could go to work and earn money and they would stay home and look after Arne. That winter was long and sad. The family, of course, missed their father. The house seemed to miss Edward's presence. Tragedy later in the winter also struck one of Haki's friends. The children would often go out to an open field where they would ice skate. The way back and forth was a bit treacherous, however, because of a fast-flowing stream that needed traversing to reach the ice field. On this particular occasion, Hakey and a group of children went to the ice field, and when they reached the stream, it was covered over, but the water below was quickly and visibly flowing. The kids made it safely across, but after reaching the ice field and playing for a while, a little girl came running and crying, asking for help. Hakey followed her back to the stream, where her little brother's footprints stopped, Hakey's friend was on his way to the ice field to meet them and fell through the ice. They found his body a few kilometers away in the coast on the days that followed. In 1942, Hakey was eight years old and he attended school all year, while his grandparents stayed home with Arne, who was now two. Food was becoming hard to come by, and Yadviga had to resort to selling Edward's clothes in order to buy food. During the school year, the Russians started to bomb Tallinn, and this would happen from time to time, and every once in a while, a bomb would fall on a home and kill the inhabitants. But in most cases, the residents were seeking shelter elsewhere. The air raids became a regular occurrence, and it seemed that Hakey and his family became quite used to the bombing as Arne always managed to sleep through the noise and Yadviga would take the time to do the family's laundry, as the wash basin was in the cellar and that was the safest place to be. On some occasions when the bombs were getting too close and the ladies in the air raid shelters, where the families often took refuge, would start to scream, Yadviga would always keep her composure and make rational decisions. This was an apparent gift of this young lady, and it would save her life and the lives of her children in the future that followed. After the night of air raids, everyone still needed to go to work, and Hakey still needed to go to school. Hakey described walking to school after an air raid, sometimes finding his way blocked by debris, and always an acrid smell that came from chemical reaction left over from the bombs, and craters filled with water that the young boy would walk around. Hakey and the other schoolboys would collect shrapnel as a hobby and compare them to other samples, all of which were razor-sharp. On one return trip from school, Heike's path was blocked off by a row of German soldiers holding machine guns. Behind them, one Russian prisoner was wandering around, picking up pieces and collecting them in a bag. As Hakey continued to watch, he realized that the pieces that the prisoner was picking up were body parts. This would be the last return trip from school. After this point, Hakey's life would change in innumerable ways. But one of the most important, at least from the point of view, of Heikey both at the young age of 8 and now at the grand age of 86, was this the last time he was to attend for a number of years and of course it negatively affected the progress of his education. During summer holidays from school, Heike would end up visiting his paternal grandparents in the town of Volka, that sits directly across from the Estonian border. There would end up being many ironic connections with the town of Volka as the story unfolds. Yadviga would eventually end up marrying a Latvian named Heinrichs from Volka, while Edward would end up marrying a Latvian- from Vulca as well. Hickey would tend to the cattle that summer and try to be of help to his grandparents. When Hickey wasn't working, he would spend some of his time watching the trains roll in and out of Volka's train station, which was just a short distance from the family farm. Some of the trains were very long and carried cattle cars, with the windows wrapped with barbed wire to prevent escape. Mostly these trains would roll past Volca, but some would stop to reload with coal. When the train stopped, one woman per car was allowed to go to the local houses and beg for food, which undoubtedly was for the other women and children still left in the cattle cars. Hickey witnessed the frantic women collect the apples and sausages that the locals in Volca would generously donate to these poor souls. On some occasions, the women collecting food would not make it it back before the train departed, and this left an unforgettable impression on Hakey. Watching these devastated women's trauma as they returned to the station to learn that their children, and likely sisters and mother, had left, alone, distraught, and terrified at the thought of losing their loved ones forever. At the time, Hakey had no idea these trains were eventually headed, but it did leave an impression on how cruelly people could be treated, and he did eventually learn the full extent of the German plan to deal with these people. At other times, the Germans would march through Volka with Russian POWs, and at times, Hickey witnessed the German Alsatia dogs tear into the Russian prisoners. On one occurrence, Hickey was by the road eating an apple, and a Russian prisoner, seeing the apple and desperate for food, ran to Hickey and offered him a wood carving in exchange. Hickey was taught to fear the Russians, so he dropped the apple and ran. He later reflects about the prisoner and how he could just as well have been his own father, but that did not occur to the young boy at the time. Not all memories f- from that summer in Volka, when Hickey was eight were so dark. One bright spot was a lavish wedding that was held for a nice couple's relative with whom Hickey was staying, which happened over a period of several days. A large barn was cleaned to host festivities, and the dirt floor lined with silver birch limbs, which gave a wonderful aroma. Over a week's time, about a dozen animals were carefully chosen, then slaughtered in preparation for the feast. Alcohol was collected from private distillery in the woods, and the wedding guests started arriving. They all seemed to show up at once in horse-drawn wagons. All the horses were cleaned and groomed. A large traffic jam of guests occurred, which gave Hakey ample time to study the procession. Over the next week, the festivity occurred. By the end, the guests seemed exhausted to Heike from the lack of sleep and drink, and he left the wedding festivities two days early because of a fight and a shooting incident in which the police were called.